Oh my God. Courtney, you just said so much. I feel like I need to like rewind this and <laughs> I'm going to do a debrief, my own personal debrief episode of what oh. you just said. No, I ain't going to lie. Mean, I just got the feeling. The Lord just came down. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, fam. This is Courtney Russell Jr., and I'm here with my co-host, Emily Brocker. Welcome to Humanize. We are two Americans with totally different backgrounds and life experiences. We're coming together on this podcast to dive right at the heart of the three things that shut down tough conversations about race, culture, power, and ego. The stories you are about to hear are meant to humanize those deeply involved in social justice. Welcome to the work, y'all. Let's get it. Yo, what's going on, family? Another great episode of Humanize is upon us all. You all are lucky <laughs> to be out there the tone of our voice. Appreciate y'all for being here. This is the debrief episode of Deranking Conversation by the great Pedro Silva. Um, it was a phenomenal episode, and we're so appreciative and humbled by that opportunity. I cannot believe that we're here for this long and with this kind of response that we've been getting so so far from everyone so i just want to start this episode off by saying thank you so much and we love you guys and um let's get it awesome let's go and what we doing okay so what we're gonna do today is kind of deeper dive into this concept that pedro was exploring with us a word that me he made up himself this idea of deranking conversations um but it intuitively makes sense. So it's looking at power and how it shows up in conversation um, and what we can do to kind of decrease that that hierarchy that kind of shows up. So we're going to play a clip here of some how he explained this concept. And then Courtney and I are going to dive into like how this shows up in our lives, our, our separate lives, our professional lives, our personal lives, and then also offer an analysis of how it shows up for us, the the two of us in in this podcast. So let's listen to Pedro here for a second. When I was in the military, I got in a situation where a non-commissioned officer, he was a master sergeant. I was a E4 at the time, which is like a senior airman. And I'm not going to tell the whole story, but let's say we got in a conversation and he outranked me. So every time he would ask me something, he'll tell me, shut up. Like he was talking to me like I was garbage. And he was like, I could tell, I could tell what kind of airman you are, blah, blah, blah. I'm gonna mess up your military career, blah, blah, blah. And um, but it's like it was like racism basically. And I had seen it happen to I saw it happen to some other uh black dudes in my same uh squadron. And I was like, so I was like, oh well, I guess it's me. And some of them, I mean, they got kicked out for like nothing. So I was I decided, I was like, okay, this guy. He's going to try to like, you know, hem me up or whatever. So he he asked me a question. I started talking, shut up. Then I say something, shut up. So I said, okay, I'm going a, I'm to a shut up for real. So then he said, he kept talking, talking. He asked me questions and I was silent. Like I didn't say a word. And then he was like, eventually he was like, why aren't you talking? And then I, I started talking real slow. And I said, every then I just paused. Oh my heart is like racing even. <laughs> and then I was like, and I was like, time. And then I just quiet. One, two, three. I, no, quiet. Open my mouth. You tell me to shut up. So I want to talk to you. 
<laughs> and and then I just did it like that. And then he was like, get out my office. <laughs> oh my and then God. and then he was like told me like he was I was done for. So but uh, it's like he couldn't listen because he had rank over me, you know what I mean? In his mind, mm-hmm. like nothing I said mattered. Cause he was he had the rank, I didn't. So shut up. So I was just like, okay. And I thought about that in this in the pervasive societal structure that there's areas where people obviously have rank there's areas where people have perceived rank and then it's just some stuff that we buy into you know so like some white people you know or whatever might feel like they might not think they feel it but on some level they may be in a conversation with a person of color a black person and because of the system and depending to the degree they buy into it they may think that they that their existence outranks another person's existence. So even when they say, let's like, let's uh, get into a conversation, there's this idea, like sometimes people say normal, the word normal, they mean white, you know? Like, oh, why don't they just act normal? You know, that sort of stuff. Right, right. And so all of that is like a ranking. So I'm like, okay, let's be aware that we do that if we yeah. can. And let's de-rank this conversation. Like, and I yeah. practice it with my kids. Like, if my kids say something doesn't make sense to me, I'll just start asking, like, well, why do why do you think that's the thing? And it's not trying to be condescending. Like, help me understand. Like, for real, I want to know. Like, I mean, I don't agree with you. And that doesn't mean you have to agree with everybody. But it's just like, oh, no, help me understand. Like, I, I don't want to just come at this like, I'm, I'll rank you. So I'm just going, you know, da, da, da. And I feel like that's that's kind of like how it, it works. And in the military, there's like, there. I mean, theoretically, I don't think anybody ever really said it except for in movies, but they'll say permission to speak freely, sir, or ma'am, or whatever. And when you say permission to speak freely, it's like, let's talk as equals, you know, right. let's let's talk as equals. And so that's basically um, what deranking conversation is, is like giving each other permission to speak freely. Dang. Boy, my father's in the military, so he would definitely... My father and mother, actually, and they would definitely be aware how that would be, you know, can permission mm-hmm. to speak freely. I don't even know if I could ask somebody permission to do that. You know, um, that's crazy. Oh, gosh, I know. <laughs> I know. But that that line about permission to speak freely, I feel like that helps me. Sometimes I get a little stuck with figuring out where power is coming in. Like, I, you know, I have some friends who are amazing critical race theorists who just think in terms of power and oppression and structures. And I just, I can't automatically think that way. Like my brain isn't wired to be that critical. (laughs) So his, the notion of like, can I speak freely? I think is a really great guide to like, can I, you know, like, can I, his, his prompt was like, do I feel like I'm in charge of the conversation? Mm -hmm. And if I do, can I, let me take it down a notch. That's really accessible for me to like in the moment, you know, to, to figure it out or after the moment to reflect on it. To me, what comes up for me right now is if you are already free, you don't have to ask for that permission. Right. Yeah. Well, maybe that's part of it for me. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. There it is. You know? And so uh, there it is. I mean, another blind spot. <laughs> I just oh, found one. <laughs> there she goes. You know, uh, <laughs> I, I feel really humbled and aware of even in med school, you know, just going into a room as a at, on the train, when I was training and in medical school, just feeling as though what can I do to meet a person where they are? 
you know. And how saying. did you do that? Little, I, I tried a lot of things. Um, one thing I, mm-hmm. I tried is coming into the room, taking my coat off, you know? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, that, that was all right. Then I came into the room. I may sit down. I may mm-hmm. sit down so it's me and the patient could be eye to eye. And so that I won't be looking over them and overbearing and saying, what's wrong with you? How are you mm-hmm. feeling today? Tell me your issues. Mm-hmm. You know? And so I feel mm-hmm. as though just those little things, me trying that out, kind of level the playing field during a time a person was the most vulnerable and they were more willing to, to talk to me about the issues that they were having and why they were there today. You know, because when someone has power, I think it's their job to make sure that the individual who's supposed to be a subordinate to them also feels empowered as well. If a teacher comes into a classroom and automatically comes from the standpoint that we're all here to learn together, I think individuals that they're serving, which are the students, are willing to to absorb a lot more of the information versus if I come in and say, hey, I don't care what y'all got going on at home. I am the authoritarian right now. Please shut up and listen, you know? And so Mm -hmm. de-ranking, not even the conversation, just de-ranking the power structure as a, as a whole is something that I, I, I'm living my life to do right now. You know, um, Mm -hmm. I know that I'm I'm a powerful person. I don't need Mm -hmm. to make you feel less empowered to prove how much of a powerful person that I am. I think that's a huge insecurity that a lot of individuals who are, who have been blessed with some kind of status feel in order for them to keep their power, I have to make anyone feel um, belittled. Yeah. I think it's really fascinating the way in which we as humans are really concerned with power and constantly assessing it, you know, even in subtle ways. And I'm, I'm curious to explore like where, like where I'm, I'm kind of thinking of like, where are the places that I just like inherently have power when I walk into a room. Like I, it's easier for me to think of places where I don't have power. Like what's coming to mind for me is when I started working as an instructor at the National Fire Academy, which is principally, you know, it's a, it's near DC and, um, you know, there's hundreds of firefighters who are there to take different courses. And I was teaching a cultural confidence and risk reduction course. It was a week long course. And I walked in First of all, like at the airport, they had a bus that picked us up Mm -hmm. and, you know, all of a sudden we're all waiting in line to get in the bus. And it's like me, I'm like five, five. And then literally like 50 men who are about a foot taller than me and quite large and like looking at me, you know, with that, like, you do not belong. What are you, are you on the wrong bus? (laughs) You know, Um, we're always trying to figure out who belongs. And that's a huge source of power for people when they can be like, as a group, be like, you're the one that doesn't belong. And it became pretty clear to me that like, I had to step into my power in Mm -hmm. front of the class. And like, so like thinking about, you know, cause I had to gain credibility as fast as possible with this class. And so I was like, okay, well, I have to be really on time because it's a paramilitary group. I'm not usually on time, but they're like, you know, really, really on time. I had to like dress super professionally. And usually I am, I like to like gain rapport with people, but I had to like come in really strong with all my credentialing. And it was a, like, it was one mo and especially as a woman too, like there's not a whole lot of women in in the fire service. Yeah. It was an interesting exercise. When I think of like power, I always think of that first day teaching at the fire Academy and how quickly. And then when they like collectively were like, Oh, you belong. 
then they were like a group of brothers who literally would have died for me because that's their creed is like, how do we die? You know, like yeah. we die for each other as firefighters. Yeah. So it's easier for me to think of places that I didn't have power and try to gain it. And I think it's important. Maybe we can do this in this podcast is like put a spotlight on places that we do have power and how do we derank that? I have a question for you. You know, like I can, not I can speak, but I can understand from a woman of color standpoint, how like the civil rights movement and the woman's suffrage was like almost one and the same, you know, when it came mm-hmm. to liberation and things of that nature. And even took a step further, if you're a woman of color, like that's another dynamic that came into play with respects to freedom, you know, but as a white woman, how do you, how do you feel at times when you feel powerless? Like what comes up for you in that moment? And have you ever felt powerless as a white woman? You know, <laughs> probably my most acute feeling of powerlessness was uh, when Trump was elected. Mm-hmm. And that was a moment where I was like, my voice was not heard and it didn't matter. And it was a, it was a profound moment because it, because there was this moment of like, and this person doesn't represent me and my values. And it, it made me reflect on, on how often I, I assume that my voice does matter. Oh, this is a hard question. Um, I mean, I feel like there's systems that aren't in my favor, but I don't meet a lot of individuals that blatantly don't believe women have a place. And if I do, I kind of take it as a challenge of like, let me, you know, let me do some like (laughs) verbal jujitsu to put you in your place and leverage my, you know, knowledge. It's always like a power play. But I would say that, that was the, that's the moment that comes to mind for me. Yeah. Um, wow. You know, growing up in Atlanta, you know, I was always, like I said before, a smaller guy, you know, so my power came from my mind and being able to manipulate situations in my favor, whether it be through like humor or like trying to outthink a person quickly or answering a question in a certain way that distract you from the real your real anger or point or whatever. And so as I grew up and started to to gain some kind of power, I really never wanted to give it up, you know? And I Mm -hmm. always felt as though I would do whatever it took to to maintain that power. And so even when I um, first went to medical school and left my community, I I, I felt powerless. And so with that, I started to get really angry. You know, like, oh, mm. I, I, I can't feel like this. I got to do this for our culture. And what that meant to me was disrespect, anger, trying to em- embarrassing anyone that came in my path because I felt as though that was the way that powerful people moved. You know, like, really, mm-hmm. if you if you're in my way, I got to run over you. Being very homophobic, very racist, very misogynistic. That was, to me, a powerful man, you know, mm. and. And not until I came, um, became homeless and had nothing and had to just just rely on. I mean, I, I don't think I prayed so much in my life in that car. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. just sitting by myself alone with my thoughts was the scariest thing I've ever done. You know, just to mm-hmm. hear you can't do this. What makes you think you become a doctor? You know, where you come from. Your father, like you and your father, not even talking right now. You have no family. Your own thoughts. Yeah. It was was bad, you know? And just being at a time in my life when I could, I I, I know I could have committed suicide. 
you know? And so mm-hmm. living a second, I feel like I'm living a rebirth right now. And that to me feels powerful, you know, having the, the mental, the mental fortitude to come through that night and not succumb to the, uh, everything that was telling me you are not enough. You are voiceless. Mm-hmm. You cannot do this. Mm-hmm. And so the next mm-hmm. day in, in, the, in the hospital, like everything opened up for me, felt like, you know, oh, I wow. felt, I started laughing. I started laughing, smiling more, just understanding medicine in a different ways, seeing a diagnosis, hearing the, the like really seeing the pain in, our, in, in the, the culture that I was fighting for. Aside mm-hmm. from talking to individuals that didn't look like me and, and putting them down, I tried to corral individuals who were my, my counterparts and, and people and learning from other cultures to empower my culture. If that's making sense. Like one day I felt like an animal and the literal next day I felt like I was walking through the door on the other side from a, a prison sentence. Like it, it was just a whole, it was a weird wow. thing. And so the powerful nature that I feel like I have now is to make sure that every room I go into, when I leave that room, room everyone feels as empowered as i do you know i think Mm. that's a job so when i go like here on on this podcast i feel so powerful not because i'm powerful but because that because we're powerful you and i and so yeah that's the only way i think as a culture freedom will ever be really experienced by us all me and on bipocs is if we courageously talk about a conversation of well, on this podcast, talk about ways to humanize the struggle, to show, to be impasse, to to really hear other perspectives and, and understand other individuals as to why they think the way they do. If if we can't do that, we can't be powerful, you know, mm. and a solution will not be, will not come about if we don't know what the problem is. And I think that's yeah. the issue. The problem is not known by us mainly BIPOCs and white individuals too, and people, everyone. No one really knows the, what the problem is. If you're white, you're benefiting from stuff that you you may not even understand really, but hey, is it my favor? Oh, I can go in, I can go to any school I want to. I can get healthcare any way I want to. I don't have to worry about police brutality. I can be viewed in a certain way. Oh, I don't know where it came from, but it's benefiting me. So fuck it, I'm cool. And people mm-hmm. of color don't understand the, the the systems in place that are allowing us to perpetuate the bullshit. And so we are both fighting a war that we have no understanding who the enemy is, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know? And so that's why yeah. I think I have to push this so hard so that <clears throat> the problem can be uncovered and individuals don't be seen as the problem. The problem is the problem. That's what we need to address. Oh my God. Courtney, you just said so much. I feel like I need to like rewind this and <laughs> I'm going to do a debrief, my own personal debrief episode of what oh. you just said. No, I ain't going to lie. Mean, you pers- got the feeling. The Lord just came down. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you for, I haven't really heard a lot about, you know, your experience in homelessness and the picture that you painted of going from a a moment with very little power to waking up the next day empowered only not through systems, but through your own thought and perspective is amazing. And it's so inspiring in the sense of like, I don't know, 
of, of how I can find my own power. You know, like it's, it's really, it's really powerful. And that you stepped out with this prioritization of understanding in order to transform. And I think that that piece is really, when we talk about our dynamic and how, how power shows up between you and I, and like we have, or on this ongoing process of building trust. And I think that one thing that really, I feel like builds the trust the most and, and continues to kind of derank our conversation is just how understanding you are. And, you know, I, I tell you the crazy em- embarrassing thought processes that come through of my white supremacy conditioning and your understanding of that. And because your understanding of that, it can move because I am now like given permission to speak freely and given permission to, to hear myself say these things and be like, well, that's crazy. Or have you say, like you were talking about Dakota, like, you know, that's in the last episode or a couple episodes ago, she's acknowledging her power. And that's a good, sorry, Dakota's my daughter for people who don't know that. And I just want to, I'm just really struck with, with the power of understanding. And, you know, like, I think there is such this um, emphasis on like, oh, powerful people are are really quick and they're smart to like put people into boxes and organize thoughts and all of this when really there's so much spaciousness in understanding. And you said that too, when you were talking about um, your orientation towards the police is like, that was one of the first things that came to mind when we were talking about, you know, what's your relationship with the police is so you talk about understanding where they're coming from and what their role is. And uh, this, this relationship between understanding and power is not a intuitive relationship that you've figured out. No, no. The thing about it too is I don't have the monopoly on pain. You know, it's not a it's not a victory lap if I'm more oppressed or I'm in more struggle than anyone else. Mm-hmm. You know, and I mm-hmm. think when someone is powerless, we try to gain power in any way we can. And we say, you know what, I'm the mo- most poor. I'm the most hurt. I'm in the most pain. And now you're taking the because pain is relative. You know, what's painful for me mm-hmm. is not going to be painful for you. And what's painful for you, I don't I don't understand, you know. And so when individuals, I think it, it kind of shut down conversation, too, when people say, hey, fuck your pain. Hear me what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. No, both our pains is valid, you know. Right. The slave master had pain and they were trying to mask it with the pain that they were putting on people of color. But they were in pain, too, mm-hmm. because as human beings, we know damn well you're not supposed to enslave another human being. You know damn well yeah. you're not supposed to be killing people for money. You know damn well you're not supposed to have people under a ship going across America, bodies being ravaged by diseases, and just still when you get over there, just trying to patch them up and and use them to to till some field. You know that that is not that's not a human condition. And so right. the pain that you had to be in to cause that level of pain for other individuals has to be uncovered as well. So if we really right. want to fight white supremacy, you have to uncover the pain that caused that, the ignorance that caused that. And so the yeah. individuals who were so intimidated and so afraid of the unknown when it came to, you know, people of color, that should be talked about. Not only mm. the fact that people of color were in so much pain, because that's true. Like the Willie Lynch letters and the psychology of creating a slave is a real thing. But the mm-hmm. person who made that 
was in fear, a fear of the unknown, mm-hmm. fear of losing something. Make America mm-hmm. great again. I lost the greatness of America. So you know what I'm going to do? I got to put certain things in place so that we can go to the good old days. That's pain. That's mm-hmm. fear. If we, un- if we uncover that, we winning. We, 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 it's, it's mm-hmm. liber- we, we've got it. We, we got liberation for all because even the oppressor needs to be liberated. Just as badly mm-hmm. as the oppressed does. Mm-hmm. That's both of us. Yeah. We both do. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, that's kind of like the, you know, what we were talking about a couple episodes ago as well, like the, the need for <clears throat> white people to realize how they've been dehumanized. And, mm-hmm. you know, like that's a really ridiculous state to be in, to be thinking that you could be okay with causing that much harm to another person. Like those, those are deep ghosts and I don't care how much money you're making. That's going to be with you when you're lying in bed at night. And I wonder how much of that, that consciousness is, is here now, you know, post post slavery and where it's not so apparent the, (laughs) the oppression and the damage, you know, like I, yeah, I'm just curious about how to continue to uncover that. As an entrepreneur, Emily, you got to realize we, we start businesses and companies because we see there's an issue that we want to solve and we mm-hmm. monetize said issue. You know, Steve Jobs wanted to have the best phone in the world, you know, and he looked around and saw there was nothing like what he saw in his mind. And he created that in the garage with Wozniak, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, so every entrepreneur, every musician feels as though what they have to give to the world, no one else can give. And that is what's going on now with with us. You know, we're here starting this track because we see that there's a need to have authentic conversations free of holding back for feelings and trusting each other around Oh, what does it really take to live in a world that is ready to really address the problem? Mm-hmm. And that is why we're here on air with Humanite because every mm-hmm. we we invented a we literally invented a platform to start having these authentic conversations, and so mm-hmm. that's what it is. We, we're doing it together right now. I don't I don't have mm-hmm. the answer from episode one, season one. I don't. I didn't know all I knew was. I'm sick and tired of talking about how bad it is out there. It's time to do something about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So let's think about our dynamic a bit. Do you, like, uh, Pedro asked these questions of, <clears throat> you know, speaking freely. Do you feel like you can speak totally freely in our conversations? I do. Um, I think it was evident on, I mean, I hope I put it out there very early in our relationship that I, I respect you so much that I can't hold back what I want to say. I cannot do this. Mm-hmm. So either we're mm-hmm. going to continue to work together or we're not, you know, I mean, and either one uh-huh. of those responses, I would have never looked at you in a bad way. I would have just said wasn't the right time. You know, maybe she has something else to mm-hmm. do. But for me, I just know that 
I would rather be an island of my by myself versus not being authentic because the problem is so big and the lives are being lost that I don't have the luxury to care about your feelings. All respect respectfully. You know, I care about mm-hmm. your feelings enough and respect you enough to tell you what I'm thinking, but not enough to not brush you the wrong way if I say something that you don't agree with, because I'm always in a conversation. So if I say something that's off-putting, yo, Courtney, what what did you mean? That was crazy. And I will say, look, Mm -hmm. I apologize if it came across like this, but this is what I stand for. And this is what I mean. Mm -hmm. And so I come into the conversation with anyone like that. And whoever is there after the conversation, thank you. I really appreciate your friendship. I appreciate knowing you. If you're not, thank you. I mm-hmm. no longer have to waste my time being in a in a room with someone who we just don't align. And so I've never had a problem deranking a conversation with you because I know I'm coming from a place that I'm always willing to learn. And if you're not willing to learn and we can't learn together, we shouldn't be in conversation anyway. Mm-hmm. So tough, yeah. I feel like I we I <laughs> Is it I or we? I feel like, <laughs> are we the same person? Oh. <laughs> I feel like um, I can speak freely, especially when we're actually recording, because we've created this container, right? We've been forgetting to do the disclaimer at the start of the episodes. We need to go back to that because <laughs> okay. it's an important disclaimer of like, we can have these conversations because of the relationship established. I feel like we've created this um really great container for conversation where through time, through several months, we both showed commitment to this, this process of being really honest together. Mm -hmm. We've showed integrity and we've um, built this container where we can speak freely. I'm just kind of trying to think of like, what are the elements that have fed into kind of deranking the conversation? Cause there's ways in which you can create a structure that's more contained. Like I'm just imagining if we were (laughs) in a miracle world where we could actually stand outside with a few people or stand inside, you know, no COVID, um, how our conversation might change because of the presence of other people. And we've created this space where I really do. I mean, like I've said things to you that I have only admitted in my mind or in like, you know, the unlearning whiteness groups that I'm a part of where you really need a permission to say that. And you've given me that permission and your understanding have reinforced that. I've kind of like tested it. Like how far can I go and still be okay? How far can I go? And I think that's part of creating a a trusting relationship. But if we were standing with a few other people, I don't, I like automatically, I don't think I'd have permission to speak freely. There would be pressures from not knowing where other people were coming from. So it's something that quickly gets whipped up, you know, in other yeah. settings where you can't just speak freely. I I want to challenge you to let's get to a place where you can be Emily Brocker, no matter if we're on humanized podcast, just me and you debrief an episode or we're mm-hmm. in an auditorium talking, doing, doing, doing whatever we do. You know, um, mm-hmm. I, I think, you, you as a very powerful woman represent something for women that 
Mm-hmm. Because the representation is huge, you know, and so they see you there speaking your truth about your whiteness. There's going to be mm-hmm. something huge for your daughters, for other white women who may want to say the same thing but are afraid to. Mm-hmm. Women fall for that, you know, black, white, red, like all women, all women fought for the right to be heard. And so mm-hmm. if you are, if you have a platform, it's almost an obligation. And again, this is just my thoughts. You can tell me to shut the fuck up. Like, I'm like, okay, cool. You do. I know what I'm gonna do. No, I need it. I need a pep talk to take down patriarchy. This is great. This is <laughs> you know, good. So- it's eight thirty in the morning. We're gonna have a strong day. <laughs> no, it's good. This, yeah. I mean, I think you're pointing to something that's just like a deep. It's a. It's a deep psychological problem for me. Is the fear of saying something offending someone of um being you know i don't know you see yeah it's as simple as you're gonna offend people whether you want to or not i'm not everybody's cup of tea it is mm-hmm. what it is you know like i cannot I, I cannot spend my mental energy mental real estate figuring out how the best way to move in the world to make everyone happy because when you make everyone happy nine times out of 10, you are unhappy. Yeah, totally. Right. And so if I am unhappy, I'm doing a disservice to the world for the mission I say that I'm on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so if I make you angry enough to think about certain things, I've done my job. If I make you happy um, and you feel like you have a fighter, um, an activist, a person that cares about your healthcare, a person person that cares about your education, a person that you align with, with your entrepreneurial um, insights and things like that nature, I've won in that way. If I Mm -hmm. rubbed you the wrong way and made you start thinking about ways to do certain things, because when I think about everyone, we've had this conversation before. When I think about leaders, whether you want to admit it or not, Hitler was a leader. Trump is a leader. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Stalin is a leader. Napoleon is a leader. These people are leaders. And they rub you the wrong way because of the, how audacious they are. And you may, I don't align with the views that they have. However, they had something that pushed culture. Trump is out of office and he's still pushing a culture. What is it mm-hmm. that, that as a leader, I have to make sure that, okay, cool. I know what I want to do. I got to tap in mentally to whatever that man has to get my job done. You know, mm-hmm. and so that that's what I mean. So as a leader myself, if I have made someone angry, it's like I've, I'm, I've done my job. Insignificant people are forgotten about. Important people, whether you like them or not, are remembered, are, are in history books. And so as a person that's trying to push culture, I don't have to be liked. Right. I have to be remembered. I have to be. Un- I don't even have to be understood. Mm-hmm. You have to. But again. I need to be significant or there's not amount of money in the world that can, can make me feel good about my life. If I am not significant in and, in, in the culture and then, in pushing the narrative of freedom and, and liberation mm-hmm. and, and honest mm-hmm. conversations and setting up options for individuals without options, you know? So, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like what you've said, like, there's all these threads of what we've talked about so far where it, you know, you, you had asked me like when as a, a 
I don't even remember the original question, but it's striking me that like, I said, like, I don't know when I, as a white woman have been disempowered or feel like, um, my voice wasn't heard. And then I would probably say that, that, that whatever it is in me, I don't know if it's a cultural thing or a female thing, or just a me thing of like wanting to be liked and not wanting to offend. I think that's the system that is disempowering to me mm-hmm. of a system that isn't saying like, put yourself out there, just do whatever you want. You are liberated to do whatever you want. That's fine. You have the power to do that. Um, and I'm struck by that that power isn't coming from a direct person. It's just in my thoughts. And it makes me think of you in the car when you turned your thoughts around and were like, no, I, this is, it's going to be different starting tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And we kind of touched upon that with, when we're talking to Crystal on our episode one of this season of like the liberation that comes from systems and oppression, and then the liberation that comes from thoughts and how they're, they're like always intertwined, you know, like when I was thinking about deranking conversations, I I thought we were going to be talking more about socioeconomic class differences, racial differences, gender differences, but where, where I met, as we're kind of like headed into the end of this conversation is like just more thinking about my, my thoughts mm-hmm. and how I guess maybe the, that's where know, it starts. It's called culture that's coming through in thoughts or just yeah. whatever. Everything starts with a thought, you know, an idea mm-hmm. uh, a belief. Mm-hmm. And so we mm-hmm. can talk about SES. We can talk about all the systems that are in place, but all of those came from a thought you know, slavery mm-hmm. came from a thought, you know, I'm, I'm overtaking the, the Americas and came with a thought. And so if we address the thought and the fear and the understand and understand, like we have to fight that, we, we, we mm-hmm. can rank anything, you know, like, why are mm-hmm. you, why are you acting as if you're, you can't learn anything from your kids? Why are you acting like, because you and you have been blessed mm-hmm. to be in a position of power that you're afraid of individuals challenging you? That come from mm-hmm. a thought, and that's what we need mm-hmm. to be addressing. Like, why am I mm-hmm. afraid to lose power, or the? Because you never really lose yeah. power. You know, a powerful person yeah. has leverage. You know, like you know what you need to do to get to where you need to go, and so you uh-huh. leverage anything and everything to make sure that you are okay. And so that's power to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As we kind of wrap up here, I think um, it'd be great to just let our listeners know I was trying to, <laughs> I was trying to think of, I was reading something on podcasting and they're like, name what your listeners are, you know, like the, these yeah. people who follow the podcast. And I was like, Oh, we can have the humanizers. And I was like, Oh no, that, no. you know, you, that <laughs> <Wrong. laughs> it's not going to work out. We're going to figure out something else. But a lot of we've been hinting at in this conversation where you and I are one direction of our work is going and maybe you could fill in folks. So we're starting to do some keynotes in uh, healthcare in the field of healthcare. We're excited to be doing it, you know, in person when that comes up, but now we're doing it virtually, but it's really on this topic. The keynote is titled empower with your power. And do you want to just tell folks briefly what that is in case they have, you know, a medical group they're working with or an introduction that they can help make. Yeah, definitely. Um, 
I've seen firsthand how disempowering and difficult it is for everyone in the ecosystem of healthcare to um, really save individuals' lives, the patients, you know, um, individuals that come to see them at a very vulnerable time, just because they're disempowered. You know, they have a view that the doctor is the most important person in the ecosystem. And I don't think so. I think everyone has their very distinct role from the time you enter in the parking deck until the time you see the doctor and you leaving through reception. Again, it should be a very warm, ex exciting experience and because you're vulnerable. And so what me and Emily are um, hoping to do is just have a conversation. I'm um, not even a training, just unpacking certain reasons. Um, reasoning why that is not the case these days and try to make sure that we can come to an understanding of why it is important for that to happen economically um it is an economic reason to to get more patients in the clinic and most importantly humanitarian reason so that we can save many more lives and make it an easier experience for everyone involved so that's what yeah what our keynote will be about yeah, I think that what you and I and our our life experiences, we've both seen that there's a very particular relationship between power, trust, mm -hmm. voice, mm -hmm. and the best possible outcomes for everyone there. And I, you know, I've done a lot of, I did a lot of work in Colombia with single mothers who were displaced by the armed conflict. I did research with them in grad school, where, I mean, an interesting part besides their incredible stories um, was like, how as an outsider do I go in and gain their trust in a way that they, they're willing to tell me their stories. And I see yeah. a dynamic being replicated here actually with us. So how, one of the ways that I did that was that I built really strong trust with a woman who was my translator and turned out to be co-researcher who was a single mother raised in the similar community to the ones that were going in. She was Afro-Colombian. And she and I had this rapport, very like joking back and forth, like ribbing each other. So when we'd walk into these different women's houses, they would have never spoken with me, but because they associated with her because of a familiar background and they saw that we had a good rapport, they were willing to open up. And I'm seeing that with our guests already, you know, like the interviews that we've had and that we're putting out in the next several weeks, the people we had on would have never sat down and, and spoken with me, but because of like our rapport and our established way of being, mm -hmm. we were able to rapidly build trust and then hear different voices. And I think mm -hmm. that there's like a, a way that that needs to happen in the medical field too, of like, mm -hmm. how do you, how do you put these pieces together rapidly so that you can really hear what's going on for someone, including their like cultural understanding of, you know, is it the wind that's making them sick? Is it a spirit that's making them sick? And um, really hear those things and get to the best possible medical outcomes. So mm -hmm. that's kind of what we are going to be exploring. So that's what we referenced a, a few times today. And that's, that's the keynote that we're developing. So uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so thank you everyone for joining us today. Any final thoughts, Courtney? Nah, the only final thought I got is let's get it, man. That's it. It's time to get to work. It's time to have this conversation. <laughs> Love you guys. Humanize. We're here, man. Let's do it. Thank 
Thanks for joining us on this episode of Humanize. Please remember to like and subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode. Join us on Instagram or Facebook to continue this conversation at The Humanize Podcast. Let us know if you want to learn more about the professional trainings we offer. And of course, tune in next time as we continue the work. Thank you and much love. 